0: from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the air.
1: Well, I don't know if they're gonna be here that long because normally in the wild, uh, Cubs will stay with their mom up to about 18 months. It's just really fun to watch them not only interact with mom, like they've been doing since the beginning, but now they're starting to play and wrestle with one another. instead of physically moving an animal from our zoo to Eastern Russia, that we may be moving the gametes. It's computerized dating. We'll make recommendations for the following year so we get the animals together, but we can't predict the chemistry.
0: I'm Sarah Funsky. Last month, two Amur leopard cubs were born at the St. Louis Zoo, and that's a big deal. Not only are Amur leopards critically endangered, but Anna and Irina are also the first leopard cubs born at the zoo in 12 years. And joining us now with more on these two cubs is Steve Bercher. He is the Kevin Beckman Curator of Carnivores for the St. Louis Zoo. Steve, welcome.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here.
0: So Steve, congratulations on these new cubs. I know you don't usually announce at the minute that these new cubs are born. These guys are about a month old at this point?
1: That's right, yes. They're between four or five weeks old now. So as you said, we don't typically announce it until we know that they're going to get past that critical period. and. Uh, They're doing really well.
0: So what is a one-month-old leper cub like? How how big are these guys at this point?
1: Um, You know, when we did the first uh, baby well check, which we normally do at about two weeks, they weighed a little over two pounds, about two and a half pounds. So you add another two weeks to that. We haven't done our second uh, baby check yet, but I would guess that they're about twice that size now. So they're growing in leaps and bounds we call them ticks they look like a tick that's just filling um and now they've started climbing out of the box i don't know if you saw the photos of them but they start in a welding box and it's about 12 inches high and uh now both of them have learned how to climb out of the box so mom picks them up she puts them back in the back in the box but dot dorothy is her name we that, call her dot yeah. yeah she's been an excellent mom mm-hmm. and very attentive and constantly grooming the kids and uh Make sure that they're you know where they should be.
0: Is that something that you were um, watching for carefully? You wanted to make sure that dot was her instincts were kicking in, as as you'd hope.
1: That's right. Um, you know, she's a first-time mom, so we never really know what her behavior is going to be like. She was mother-reared, and that's great. That helps. But we never really know for sure. And so we're prepared in case a mother, there's some kind of an issue or something, and we have to intervene. So we make sure that we have milk replaced. It's funny because now we've been talking about human baby formula and that. Um, but we make sure that we have all those materials ready to go. And if we have to intervene, then we can do that. And we have a great animal care staff, our veterinary staff is second to none, and so we're all prepared for anything that may come up.
0: Yeah, so you were prepared, but it sounds like this moment, is it's gone about as well as it could go.
1: It's been really, really nice, yes, yeah.
0: And so what's this like then for them? It sounds like they're getting in this box, getting out of this box. Um, what is? What's gonna be sort of the next developmental milestones for these little guys?
1: Well, you know, they'll stay inside until they're close to three months old. And the reason why we do that, that that's a really important age because they're then large enough to be able to handle and navigate all the obstacles in the yard. And we have some really high areas in the Amur Leopard yard. So at about that point, they'll be ready to go outside. But before then, everything in their enclosures on the inside, it's like a new experience, a new environment for them. So I mentioned that they're starting to climb out of the box. We'll give them access to multiple enclosures. It's just really fun to watch them not only interact with mom like yeah. they've been doing since the beginning, but now they're starting to play and wrestle with one another. That's only going to increase as they get bigger and and grow stronger. And uh, then they're going to start chasing each other Um so it's, just, it's really fun to watch them grow and, and develop.
0: Yeah, I bet you just have the coolest job at this point, getting to see all this.
1: <laughs> We're pretty lucky, yeah, we are very lucky. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned mom is there, she's taking such good care of them. Uh, she has a partner, this is Samson. Is, is he going to have access to these babies as well? How does that work for leopards?
1: Normally not, okay. because with most of the big cats, except for lions, as we know, that's the, that's the social big cat. All the rest of the big cats and the bears, for instance, when they become adults, they live a solitary lifestyle. Hmm. So it's not normal for the father to help raise the offspring, for instance. And sometimes in the wild, if the father may come in contact with his young, he may not re- recognize him. Oh, and we wow. can consider him competition for food or for a mate or something like that. So we normally do not have the male in the same area with mom and the kids. So he's still continuing to go outside. You know, he'll go out, he'll come in, he'll eat and do the normal routine, but uh, he won't help raise the offspring.
0: Okay. So I understand Dot and Samson came together because of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, Amur Leopard Species Survival Plan. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yes. The Species Survival Plan, they were actually developed about 30 years ago, and we have now, uh, we call them SSPs, for about 550 species, subspecies. And what that basically is, is it's a structured breeding program. We don't just indiscriminately move an animal from St. Louis to San Diego to Chicago to New York. It's all based on pedigree information that we have, what we call mean kinship information, how closely related individuals are to one another. Mm-hmm. So the individuals that are least related, that are most distantly related, those are the individuals that we try to put together so, each year in an SSP, I happen to serve on the management committee for most of the big cat species, other carnivores or for other taxa, and we'll meet once a year and we do what's called a master plan meeting. So we look at all the individuals in the population, and then, based on that information that I just told you, we'll make recommendations for the following year to move an animal from St. Louis to New York or wherever it is to put it's computerized dating, yeah, to put together the best we don't just indiscriminately make these moves. We have a very small population, as you, you know. In the wild, there's fewer than 100, we believe, wow. less, left in eastern Russia. There's maybe a few left in northeastern China, northern Korea, the Primorye forest area. It's a very small population. We have even fewer in our North American population. We have about 70 as our genetic base in North America. There are some over in Europe and Russia, so the population we we estimate in our zoos worldwide is about three hundred. So it really shows what an important genetic reserve that is mm-hmm. to help ensure again you know the survival for those animals in the wild because we don't we don't think that the population in the wild is probably a viable population. Yeah. When you get the numbers that low, you have to worry about inbreeding, yeah. a disease epidemic. Any of those factors could really Make that population go extinct very fast. So that's why we need to have this genetic reserve in our zoos today.
0: So this all falls on the zoo, and it falls on this matchmaking program. It's in, in this case, this worked. Dot and Samson had yeah. these twins. Have there been other matches where things look great in the the computer database, but for whatever oh, reason, it, it doesn't take? You're
1: absolutely right. It looks great on paper. Yeah. And in theory, it's, but it's, then it's just
0: like with men oh, and women in real life, you're isn't absolutely
1: it? right. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. You ask that because. You know, we go to all this trouble to try to put together, and I'm not a geneticist by degree, but we do have a geneticist that helps us develop that master plan so that we're putting together the best pairs. We do all the logistics. We move the animal. It can be costly to move an animal across the country. We then do our introductions that can take several months and we get the animals together, but we can't predict the chemistry. Yeah. So that's the hard part. But one of the neat things that we have done at at our zoo, in addition to our curatorial staff, we have a scientific, a diverse scientific staff at the hospital. We have four full-time veterinarians, we have a reproductive biologist, we have a pathologist, an epidemiologist, an endocrinologist, and we have all these cool people. And <clears throat> one of the things that we started looking at several years ago, we know that female, with many of the female mammals, that in the wild, that they, when they become into, when they come into estrus, they will urinate or defecate more frequently. Mm. Males come upon those those spots, and that we're now learning that females may, as males do, the same thing. That females may actually be uh, from the from the male's urine. They can detect certain proteins, and they can determine males that may more be more distantly related. And the reason why I'm telling you that is that. We attempted uh, some experiments some years ago. We were looking at cheetahs, for instance. And we were able to collect urine from a number of our male cheetahs because they will spray mark, like all cats do in certain areas. So we put these collection devices up, we collected some urine, and then we sent that to the other zoos that were part of the study. They then exposed the urine to unrelated females, okay? We knew what their pedigrees were. And then, what we measured, we measured how much time females spent investigating the urine from these males, and what we learned from our studies was that females were actually spending more time in proximity, our time investigating the urine of the males that were more distant related, so huh. that kind of proved out our hypothesis, what we what we thought. So, again, we can now more easily collect urine if we decide to do this with other taxa, because we believe it happens with ungulates, with antelopes, with other taxa. We can then collect the urine more easily. We can send that to other zoos, and we can expose those females to that and then let them help us select the best pairs.
0: That's pretty amazing. It's
1: pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Did
0: that come into play for Dodd and Samson's pair?
1: It didn't because we have so few individuals. We've done it with cheetahs. We've actually done this before we've brought cheetahs to St. Louis or we sent them to other zoos. Mm-hmm. So then we kind of look at that and we say, "Hey, this looks like it might be a good it might be a good pairing." So we use both. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But so this one just it, it worked based on what this you saw worked. on paper. Now that these two have had success, they've had these twins, is there a chance that Dot and Samson you would like to give them the opportunity to to do this again?
1: <laughs> I'm an animal manager, Sarah. I would love to do that again. But all, it all depends on the genetics, and it depends on space, because we're now working with multiple felid taxa, and we only have so many space in our zoos. If we look at the zoos that, that are part of our association of zoos and aquariums in the United States, we only have about 230 zoos. Mm-hmm. So there's very limited space for armor leopards, snow leopards, jaguars, tigers, all these other species. So we can only dedicate so many spaces to each uh, species or subspecies. And we haven't reached our maximum yet for Amra leopards. So I'm not really, I haven't answered your question, but we would love to in the future. We'll see in a couple of years when it may be time to to look at that again and decide whether we'll rebreed them. I think be there's be, a good. I think there's a pretty good chance. Yeah,
0: you have to be very strategic with all this stuff. We do. It's interesting <laughs> to think about what all goes into the backstory. Sure. So for Anna and Irina, um, they're now babies. Their mother's only four years old. Does that mean That's that right. in of just a few years time they'll be looking at heading off on their own? They might be part of this program too.
1: They will be part of this program for sure. Um, Yeah, the reproductive lifespan for for most leopards or big cats is between 3 and about 9 or 10. So we need to take advantage of that relatively short period. So there's a very good chance that they will then go to another zoo uh, and be paired with an unrelated male at another place. Mm.
0: So in the meantime, I know they're still in this, this private enclosure with their mom. They're sort of getting their sea legs for life. Yeah. Uh, when is it that uh, the public will be able to see these guys? Because I know everyone's so excited about that.
1: Well, a lot of it's going to depend on them. You yeah. know, we'll watch them to make sure that they're growing normally and doing all the right things. And um, you know, we can't say for sure. But usually it's, you know, around two and a half to three months uh, that we start allowing them to uh, explore the outside yard and that. So um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We a- hope it continues to go well.
0: And is the idea they'd be in St. Louis until they're at least three or so years old?
1: Well, I don't know if they're going to be here that long because normally in the wild, uh, cubs will stay with their mom up to about 18 months. Okay. Because sometimes what we'll see is that when you when you approach that, well, a, a female may reach maturity at about two, two and a half years of age, three. Um, that's not normal for mom to stay with her daughters. And we certainly can't keep her with, with the son or yeah. the males. Uh, we have to physically separate them. So, again, that's where the space factor comes in. Yeah. Because we only have so many uh, habitats for Amur Leopard. So then at that point, we will then start looking at whether we need to move one or both of the parents, keep the, the girls or one of the girls, or they may move out at that point. So we have to pay attention to that.
0: Yeah, there's so much to pay attention to here. So thinking about the bigger picture, these Amur leopards, the size of these populations in the wild, this is just so sad to hear about. Uh, What are the big threats that they're dealing with that that they just have so little uh, room left, so few of of them left?
1: Right, well, as you asked, you know, they they live in the Primori Forest, uh, Primori uh, province of Eastern Russia, and that's a heavily forested area so logging has become a huge part of the economy in that part of the country mm-hmm. and it not only affects the amur leopard but the amur tiger which used to be called the siberian tiger we don't call them siberian tigers anymore because they don't range into siberia they're just found in this little small area of habitat we estimate of not more than 5 500 siberian tiger excuse me uh, amur tigers left we have been working with the russian biologists there for a couple of decades It's unfortunate because they have been able to identify areas of suitable habitat. And that means areas that may be protected, Mm -hmm. that there may be adequate prey for leopards and tigers to maybe do a reintroduction in the future. Mm -hmm. We're actually working towards that. And we may take some of the animals. Now, this is a question that we get quite often. Can we take animals that are born in the zoo and release them into the wild? Well, not the animals that are in our particular situation. Mm -hmm. We can take daughters, for instance, like Anna and Irina. We can take them to eastern Russia, to a breeding facility there, and then wean them off of human contact. Kind of like what they did some years ago with the Florida panther. Right. Where they put them in these very large uh, areas, uh, paddocks, and then they start feeding them live prey. And then you start wean very little human contact. And then hopefully in the future, you'll have animals for release. Now, I'm telling you all these things, it, it all sounds great on paper, but there's another factor there that we have to think about, that the tigers sometimes will prey on leopards, oh boy. just like lions will prey on African leopards, so that some of the best areas for reintroduction in the future are areas where there are already tigers living there. So there's going to be competition, and you know we hope that that may work. But and and I and I don't want to go into too many details with all this stuff. But but there's another thing that we're also doing in our zoos that I think is really exciting. The Saint Louis Zoo, we maintain a re- reproductive uh, base for the different contraceptives and things like that that we use for animals in our zoos. And in addition to that, we have uh, freezers. We have ultra cold freezers, and we're doing genome banking. Hmm. So we are collecting semen. From animals like our male tiger, our our male leopards, those animals, so that we will have frozen semen so that in the future, if we need to do artificial insemination, or I think what we may read about in the future, in the next 5-10 years, that instead of physically moving an animal from our zoo to Eastern Russia, that we may be moving the gametes. So we may be, if we can perfect the techniques for artificial insemination, it's a lot easier to move the semen, for instance, to an animal living in the wild, for instance, a Mm -hmm. tiger or a leopard, and then inseminate that animal in the wild, or to collect the, uh, the eggs, the ova, which we're now learning how to do that with many of our taxa, again, freezing it, and then using that to help uh, supplement populations in the wild. I think that's the direction that we'll be going in the future.
0: Boy, there's a note of hope for just such a, a complicated situation. Some of these new technologies could really give new life. This has been so interesting to learn about. Steve Bircher, I wanna thank you for joining us today. Well,
1: thank you, yeah.
0: This episode was produced by Alex Hoyer with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Avery. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.